0: Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world lines on tech. Hello and welcome to Better Tech. I'm Sophia Moshasha, your host, and it's a privilege to be your new host today. As we embark on a journey through the dynamic world of immersive and emerging technologies, my background in advancing XR and its applications across various sectors positions me to offer unique insights and perspectives. My career has been characterized by significant roles that have fostered education and engagement within this rapidly technological landscape. At BetterTech, our mission is to forge connections with leading minds in the industry and to delve deeply into the trends that are shaping our technology future. I'm pleased to welcome today Walt Carter, who has led digital transformation strategies for the financial sector. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you, Walt, about the innovative solutions that you've implemented. So welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Sophia. Looking forward to the conversation. You. you as well. Uh, before we uh, dive into our conversation about resilient IT infrastructure and financial financial services. Uh, Could you give us a brief overview of your journey leading up to where you are today and and kind of what led you to the financial sector?
1: So, uh, you know, probably a bunch of happy accidents, to be honest with you. Uh, I, long, long time ago, uh, started building applications uh, for uh, application in the world of physics. Uh, So doing statistical analysis programming uh, for physics experiments back in the, the very early 80s. Uh, I built a computer simulation of a nuclear particle accelerator uh, on a VAX uh, for my undergraduate thesis in uh, in physics, uh, and then I went to work uh, in the military. I was a captain in the Air Force when I got out, but I spent four years working on nuclear missiles. Uh, so I'm a card carrying rocket scientist that's actually worked on real rockets, uh, and uh, I spent uh, three years working in command and control. Uh, Basically, playing World War III games with the President, the National Command Authority here in the U.S. Uh, spent about a year up in Canadian NORAD headquarters, uh, and uh, all of those jobs were very focused around emerging technologies. You know, per per our conversation today, so I want I may want to come back and talk a little bit more about those. But when I got out of the Air Force in '92, I went back into What you and I would know as, you know, traditional, uh, you know, telecom and and IT services uh, for big companies like Fidelity and Gannett and uh, TRW, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, and then a few years ago, I found myself, you know, with an offer to be a CIO at a mortgage company, having never been in the mortgage business. Uh, you know, but, you know, the people that were there knew me pretty well and and said, Oh, yeah, you'll be great at this wall. So I spent three years uh, at the first company. uh, And, uh, and then they sold it. uh, And, uh, and then I got another job as a chief information officer and chief marketing officer at a second mortgage company grew that pretty rapidly, we sold it again, very successfully uh, tried to retire at the end of that. Uh, and it, it found out I don't really do retirement well. Uh, and so, you know, then I, I went to Homestar uh, where I've been for almost six years. Uh, and I just recently left Homestar uh, and, and, you know, technically retired again today as we speak. Um, although it doesn't feel like it. Um, and uh, so I was there for almost six years and, uh, you know, had a really good run uh, when, when, when I think about uh, the, the the challenges that that we have in financial services and financial in fintech in in, in general, um, you know, I think you know one of the things that you shared earlier uh, in our our warm up uh, conversation is so true. Technology really is at the center of almost everything we do in business, and uh, and and you know, I have said for years as a CIO and CMO that you know that everything that that, that you, know, you try to do on the edge of the business has actually got some uh, you know, root in what we do in the technology stack. Uh, and, and, and depending on how important that is to you, uh, you, know, you, you need to have that resiliency. You know, that we talk about high availability, we've been talking about high availability, but for years, Um, You know, I've worked for three different CEOs now in the mortgage space that all said, look, I don't want to be in the technology business. Well, I want to be in the mortgage business. And I'm like, but what does it mean to be in the mortgage business today without the technology to support that? Can you still do it the old school way with just paper and a pencil? And the answer is no, you really can't. You can't do it in a secure and reliable way. You can't do it in a customer, uh, you know, service ex- excellence kind of way uh, without the technology. And uh, you know, and again, yeah, everybody's walking around carrying these little handheld devices, uh, these supercomputers, and, and and the expectations have changed dramatically, right? Uh, if if you tell people to fill out form, I'll tell you the worst experience: go to the doctor. Go to the doctor's office after you've already filled out all the forms online. They hand you the clipboard and ask you to fill out the same forms again. You do it because you're, you're a good person and you, you're a nice person. And then you go sit down in the in the little office or the room, the holding room. And what do they do? They ask you the same questions again, you know, and, 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 and they fill out their forms, right? You know, like, look, I've already filled out these forms twice and now you're filling them out some of those forms by the way ask you to give the same information multiple times on the same page the mortgage industry by the way is not unlike that right we collect lots and lots of documents from you uh, to get a mortgage we we you know verify your income your employment we look at tax returns where you take pictures of your driver's license your social security card right so we got all of this stuff and and you know and we use it do we because i can actually now go to the irs and get your tax returns you don't have to give them to me i can go to your payroll provider and i get your w-2s you don't have to give them to me uh and and as we have found out that we could go to the direct source for that information our, our our opportunity for our customers to be involved in fraud goes way down, and so our industry calls that day one certainty. By the way, it says so for the big insurers of mortgages like Freddie and Fannie and Jenny, uh, the VA. All of those are insurance providers. They back the mortgages. Uh, you know, they say, well, look, if you if you go direct to the source without having to get that information from the customer, which gives them an opportunity to massage that data then we'll give you day one certainty for insuring that file. Yay. Right. So in the future, I think what we're going to see is you push the button when you fill out the application online and you know, whether you've gotten the mortgage or not in just a few minutes, Uh, but that's still a ways off, not because the technology doesn't exist, but because the regulatory environment won't support that yet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, Um, in terms of the benefits, then you just said that it prevents more, it prevents fraud from the consumer side, but it also maybe, maybe, uh, it it helps with uh, efficiencies as well. And it helps the, the, the consumer and the client, um, get their services faster as well from you guys. So it's kind of like that win-win situation there. Um, is there any other benefits, um, that, that you could see in, in, uh, in building out these, these solutions, uh, that it you deem is 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 necessary for these financial institutions
1: well i think one of the things that we're we're uh really bad at in uh especially in the mortgage industry and maybe more broadly across financial services is that we have been slow adopters of emerging technologies and uh, there are some really awesome tools that have been out there for a while like rpa uh, robotic process automation uh, and for all for folks that are not, technical Nicole, Nicole, um, you know, workflows, uh, workflow engines on top of RPA is amazing. Um, and when you start to look at the, the applicability and, you know, so here, here's what's going on in mortgage right now, Sophia. We have, you know, most mortgage companies go, going, you know, underwater on every loan because their cost to produce the loan is so high. The reason it's so high is because for years and years, instead of adapting and adopting technologies, we've thrown bodies at the line. So we've created this manufacturing process that's human labor intensive. RPA in particular would solve a lot of that. Uh, workflows on top of the RPA engine would solve a lot of that. Um, you know, there, there are people in our industry that argue that blockchain uh, especially when you think about the title being the root of the the whole mortgage process, right? We're transferring the title from one owner to another uh, or from the builder to the first owner. Uh, you know, that title could be locked down in a block uh, and then, you know, you'd have a certain amount of immutability there and change, change or version control uh, that would save everybody $400 on a title search, uh, right? Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Why haven't we done it? And again, you go back to the regulatory environment, and you go back to the guys in the title business today. Going, no, 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 that's how we make all of our money. Uh, we don't want to give that up. Uh, you know, another another example of that, by the way, because it's not just unique to our, our mortgage uh, business. Uh, you know, I was having conversations with guys uh, at uh, one of the CIO 100 events not too long ago, and they were they were all working on uh, you know the the driverless car. You know, and uh, and I asked one of the guys uh, at one of the big automakers, I said, so when do you think we'll see that really, you know, go into, you know, high, high volume out on the roads? He said it, it, it's not going to be soon, suitable. And, and the reason is not because the technology doesn't exist it's because the insurance companies actually have, you know, done a great job of lobbying to make sure that each one of us that drives has to buy insurance from them. And, and if you're not the driver of the car, do you need insurance? And the answer is who, who pays the insurance company? Well, the insurance companies own almost everything in the United States uh, and probably around the rest of the world. They're not giving up the revenue streams. So, and and the the manufacturers of the cars then become the the people that would buy the insurance and they're going, we're not paying the insurance companies all that money on your behalf. And so, you know, there's a there's an economic problem here. It's not a technology problem, it's an economic problem. And then just like in the in the, the world of the mortgage, right, we we've been able to do a lot of this automatic data gathering on behalf of our customers for years now, not just minutes, but years. And yet the regulatory environment still requires what they call wet signatures on several documents, right? So I can't just do an automated closing online in a Zoom session in certain states. I have to actually sit down with you, see you write your name, and then get a notary to notarize that, right? And and it's not because DocuSign doesn't work. It's been working great for a long time, right? It's because the regulatory environment hasn't caught up with the technology. So, so you've got economic factors, you've got regulatory factors. And at the same time, you've got more smart people on the planet than any time in our history working on cool technologies uh, like the stuff we were talking about in the metaverse with spatial and, you know, the, oh, man, there's just some really exciting stuff going on right now. And, and, and it's going to be a while before those economic systems and those regulatory systems really catch up, I think.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's kind of that mentality. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And um, you know, and and there, people are perfectly fine doing things the more traditional ways. And they they you know they haven't yet experienced the efficiencies or or potentially they're you know people are apprehensive of being phased out. You know, and that's and that is uh, just something that we're gonna have to evolve with as a, as a society. Um, it's really interesting and i think that's like you said it's on all fronts it's on all technological fronts in every single industry i think we're experiencing things like this and you know from a consumer or in you know, a standpoint or from your standpoint in the, in the in the innovation helm you know it's an it's an obvious it's an obvious solution it's an obvious fit for this for some of these needs here but um But it's interesting that it's not just what makes things more efficient or what makes things make sense um there is there's so many other components that are more like emote emotionally driven sometimes and and sometimes it is um um regulatory in in terms of they don't understand what to do with all of this data they don't know how to secure all this data or move and share this data in in a way that is compliant you know there's a lot of a lot of things especially when we're talking about um um, you know, overseas and, and um, complying with GDPR and those types of things, um, which make it really, really complex and really interesting.
1: Um, you know, it's funny because i a big part of what I did at Homestar, I, uh, I added in a component, uh, a data fabric that, uh, that, you know, again, data fabric is a fairly new thing for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, I was looking for a solution for the, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is derivative from that GDPR uh, legislation over in Great Britain. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it has certain elements of requirement, right? The regulatory requirement says not only, well, do you need to know what that data set is, you need to know where the data came from and you need to know what permissions you have uh, to, to turn on remarketing specifically uh, for that data set for those consumers. Right. And, uh, and, and I started looking around going, okay, I need to get in front of this. Cause not only will, will California ask me for this, but very soon New York and Massachusetts, you know, there's certain States that are usually quick followers of things like that. Um, and so as you, and, and you know, Great Britain is normally about 10 years ahead of us in terms of their security regulations uh, and, and insights. So, so I, I found uh, a startup at the Atlanta Technology Development Center called PrivOps that was built to be a, a GDPR solution. Uh, and mm-hmm. I rolled it out and found out I could do all kinds of cool stuff with that data fabric. Not just solve for GDPR or California privacy, but but really start to look at what the, the patent holder on that technology calls the meta DNA, right? And I had a quick connect tool that was like SnapLogic or, or MuleSoft uh, that was built into that. Uh, and so I could start to do some really amazing uh, visualization of data, Um using another uh, kind of innovative tool called ThoughtSpot that I think is the best data visualization tool out there. And again, I'm biased so uh, you know I just have to, to say that. There are other visualization tools out there that are pretty snazzy as well, but I love ThoughtSpot. Um, when, when I look at you know the, 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 the real raw uh, job of being a CIO, you know, the reason they call it chief information officer is not because they want us to keep all of the stuff on. That's, that's a, that's a hygiene thing. Yes. All of the technology needs to work and it needs to work most of the time, Walt, but what we really need is information. We need information so we can drive this business and make sure that we have sustainability and that we have growth in the, in the right ways. And so how do we take all of this data that we collect sift through it all and and move up that that you know kind of wisdom tree if you will right says you know well, i got data now i've got information now i've got knowledge and now i've got wisdom uh right and and now how do i distribute that and how do i make sure that the right people in the organization have access to all of that stack so they can see where it where it came from right it's not just an assertion of wisdom it's a validated assertion right that says i know what the roots are so so when you use uh, data fabric tools when you use uh, visualization tools what you're really doing is you're adding power to your organization uh using you know those kinds of technologies to to really help you drive right because mm-hmm. leadership is a vision thing. It's not a uh, a management thing or a handling thing. It's a it's a vision thing. I need to see where I'm going, uh, and I need to be able to understand what's going on while I'm going there. Um, I think a lot of companies have a lot of work to do in this area, um, and that's uh, uh, that's a different conversation for a different day. But but in terms of resilience, in order for all this stuff to work, you really have to put the homework in to understand. You know, the prioritization of certain utilities, the prioritization of, uh, you know, your stack. uh, You know, you can't, you can't, no company has all the money in the world to build a perfect infrastructure. You have to make decisions along the way that say, look, you know, I've only got so many dollars to spend here. How am I going to get the most resilient infrastructure that I can for the least amount of spend, right? And then from an ongoing spend or a maintenance spend, you know how do I minimize that too? Because I don't really want to be in the infrastructure business well, I want to be in a mortgage business, uh, right? And I want my cost to be low. So so again, you start building with the idea of easy to maintain, you know low cost to to you know staff. Uh, I don't need exotic technologies that nobody else has. I don't want to build my own, grow my own kind of thing. I want to buy stuff off the shelf if I can. Where there's lots of skill sets, lots of support, uh, you know, as you and these are the kind of things that you have to factor in as you're building your stack and, uh, you know, and then at the edge, you always got that, you know, customer user experience right, or now we're calling it digital experience, right, uh, you know, so so you get into this world of trying to think your way through, all of the technologies have got to come together, they've got to work together, uh, and they've got to, to, at the end of the day, get to a user that can intuitively, almost intuitively, use the tech without a whole lot of extra training burden going into the mix, and uh, so I, I, I you know, frankly, I probably should stay retired, Sophia, because I'm thinking, you know, as I talk about my job, I'm going, you know what, that's a really hard job. Uh, it's not for, it's not for your your everyday lightweight kind of thinker. You, you really have to be a deep thinker in order to be excellent as
0: a CIO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as I'm sure you are. Um, <laughs> in speaking on when, on the deployment side of things, what were some of the challenges, what are some of the challenges that you faced, You know, both like internally deploying these solutions as well as um, f- from, from the client's perspective, the consumer's perspective, go into that a little bit.
1: Well, I'll tell you, you know, a, a, an interesting story from uh, several years ago. We, um, I was at Generation Mortgage, which is a reverse mortgage company. We're the third largest reverse mortgage company in the United States. And uh, we had we had built for our internal team an application uh, that uh, that literally showed uh, a, a very powerful visualization of how that product actually amortizes over time and how it really benefits the customer. Um, and we, we got so excited about it once we rolled it out to our sales team as a, as a SharePoint app. We said, you know, this would be so cool if we could sit down with our customers and show it to them in their living rooms. Uh, and so we, we built an iPad app that, you know, had some really, uh, again, very clean, very uh, intuitive, easy to drive uh, and, and you know, long story short, you know, I won CIO of the year off of that rollout um, here in Georgia. And, uh, you know, the financial planners of Florida and Financial Planners Association around the, the planet got all excited, said, we've been waiting 25 years for somebody to explain simply and visually how this product works, which we did. But back to your mm-hmm. question about deployment, right? So we're rolling this out. And I've got one of my, my senior guys, uh, you know, that has to go and explain the iPad app to our loan officers, right, who are mostly uh, older folks, I have to admit, they were mostly older, and this is 12, 13 years ago. Um, and, and you know, this uh, young man comes into my office after he's delivered the training, he's got steam blowing out of his ears, and he is obviously very emotionally kind of uh you know and he's like well I'm trying to tell these guys you know how to get started on the application with the iPad right and I'm like okay oh everybody turn on your iPad swipe the iPad right and they're like why would we want to steal the iPad and he's like, no, 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 no. Don't steal the iPad. You know, you are. we gave you the iPad. It's your iPad. What you need to do now is get it to start, right? So, you know, if you know how the Nike swoosh looks, you drop your finger down on the screen and you, you make that swoosh. Oh, well, why didn't you just say, turn on the iPad? <laughs> uh, the the good news is, we followed we followed kind of the uh, the Apple model or the Google model of keeping it real clean on the app. So once they got into the app, it was fairly easy for them to see how to adjust some sliders and you know, to take some inputs from their customers, you know make it personable uh, and personalized for each encounter. And, uh, and, and you know, again, that, that app worked really, really well for us. We had We had great success uh, as a company. We grew like crazy. Uh, and, uh, and again, had a very good exit on that. Uh, it was a, it was a phenomenal rollout, but, but it goes to, you know, something that, you know, back, back to, you know, kind of the conversation about the metaverse, right? You've got, you've got some generational challenges out there that we're going to have to continue to solve for, uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of the, the, the young people, uh, my kids are all, you know, very techno technology adept, I guess is the right word for that. Uh, I'm still not. I'm still learning. I go play in Spatial, and I'm trying to set up my avatar, going, "Oh my god," uh, you know, and uh, you know, and, and yet my kids are all like, "Oh, Dad, you just do this." You know, I'm like, "Okay, uh, when you're running down the field, I'm going to have to catch up," uh, you know, and so I'm I'm still trying to figure out, and and I believe that with with some of the the tools like like the Metaverse, like Spatial in particular, right there's an opportunity for us to do something in the hybrid world that we haven't done yet, which, you know, has been create, what is essentially office hours, right? You know, so if I go into spatial and I set up my office, I could post my office hours and then people could just drop in to spatial. They I wouldn't have to send out a meeting request or a, a you know, a teams or a zoom or something like that. A lot of the intentionality Uh, of setting up personal meetings, you know, kind of goes away and it becomes much more informal if we can pull that off. That's, that's a thought, Uh, you know, there, there are probably many, many other things and you're probably way down the field on that Sophia. Uh, So, so, you know, help me out, you know, help an old guy.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation we could get into. And now you're speaking my, um, my language. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, just on that note, just visualization tools in general help, especially when we're talking about more complex solutions, like what you're talking about, like anything IT or cyber related, cybersecurity, and those types of things, um, to help people understand what is actually happening. Because something that isn't that, that you can't grasp, especially mm-hmm. people that are not in technology, not creating these things, they don't understand uh, how it all works and why it is we need it. Um, but, but visualization tools can really, really help with those things as well. Um, I, you know, even in the healthcare sector, they're helping to describe to people what is happening in their body when they're diagnosing them, you know? And so people really have an understanding of, um, of the, of what is happening and, and what they need to do to, to come combat that rather than it being some, some abstract idea of what's, of, of what it is. So, um, but, but we can definitely play in, in, um, in you know, in immersive technology and how that well, we'll have a separate conversation about about that and specifically financial sectors well.
1: point, though, I want to I, I want to really emphasize this for the folks that are that are paying attention to us. Um, the um, I figured out many, many years ago and I've done a bunch of package software implementations over my career. Uh, some of them global, many of them global, uh, right? With users all over the planet, a lot of different mm-hmm. cultures, a lot of different time zones, uh, and and one of the things that that is universal though for for all of those cultures and all of those time zones, is that most people are visual. They are not people that you know can look at a project plan, for instance, or an Excel spreadsheet with rows and columns of information, and immediately see what they need to see, right? Uh, you know, whereas when when we learned that we could graph that data, you know, and, and you know, put pie charts and, and, you know, bar charts and, you know, start to visualize the impact of those rows and columns that made the data actionable, right? Now, all of a sudden, I can see which one, one of those bars is the tallest. That's my best customer. But well, what about this one down here that's the shortest? What do I need to do there to get them to buy more for me? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the visualization of the data becomes really important. And so probably around 2006, I um, I found a tool uh, and a process called mind mapping. uh, Right. So I started putting everything into these big mind maps and I would put them on the wall so everybody could see. Oh, well, you know, Sophia's got this task and it's due on this day. And oh, by the way, if she doesn't finish, that's gonna affect these 13 people up here. And I, I put their names on the wall so they could all see Sophia, they're depending on you to get this done by this date. Is it, Are you okay with that? Are you still committed? Yeah, you're gonna deliver. Oh yes, ma'am, all right, great, uh, we're excited. But having everything laid out in a visual presentation Really engages people, and oh, by the way, they can remember the picture. Mm -hmm. They can't remember a project plan. They can't remember an Excel spreadsheet for two seconds after the meeting, but but they can remember that picture they saw on the wall, especially when they name them.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and now especially when you're getting into multiple factors and variables and in a 3D context, now you're shifting your your perspective, and now you have these these multiple perspectives on. On these subsets of data and how they affect one another, so it's super interesting. Um, how do you see resi- a resilient IT infrastructure playing a role in the broader spectrum of risk management, management within uh, financial sectors? Like what what else what else can it or will it be used for?
1: Well, the the core that that you hinted at just a few minutes ago is that you know the the, the real uh, what's going on in the world of technology and what's going on in the world in general is there is a constant cybersecurity threat, especially against institutions that, that are involved in financial services. Uh, You know, so, you know, all of my ports at Homestar were being probed pretty much all day, all along, you know, looking for weaknesses, looking for openings. Um, The bad guys Mm -hmm. are using very sophisticated tools uh, to try to get in. And, uh, you know, and so, that, that resiliency thing has got to do uh, with, you know, not only does it work, right, it has to work, but it also has to be secure it has to be secure all the time. And if it's not secure all the time, and I don't think anything can be at this point, uh, because you're connected to so many other parts of an ecosystem that are outside your control. How can you most of the, the really bad hacks that have happened in the last few years have happened through second, third or fourth parties that had access and credentials to get into the bigger network that ultimately got exposed. You're, you have to partner. You have to be in the marketplace. You ha- so the, the notion of zero trust is almost funny in a way, because in order to be in business, you you've got to trust. You've got to extend trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, when you start thinking about this notion of cybersecurity uh, as an aspect of resiliency, at, at Homestar in the last two years, we had three ransomware attacks that got through multiple layers of our defenses. But fortunately, I had really good defenses that saw that, you know, even though it got through uh, the, the Outlook filters, it got through, you know, the Azure filters, it got through Dark by Antigida. Got through Mimecast even, uh, right? All of a sudden, you know, I've got another big set of tools that kick off and see files start to encrypt themselves. So they lock it down, quarantine everything, and then I've got good backups all the time so I can easily restore back to, you know, a safe point. When, when you build it right, you build it with cybersecurity in mind up front. And that's that's something that again your average guy building apps in the in the garage doesn't really think about, right? So if you're using the kids app from the App Store or from wherever, uh, right? You know you got to be mindful that that's that's also one of the problems with some of these no code, low code, which I love. I love the tools, but I also know that you have to industrialize these apps. You have to have security really at the forefront in, in the in that and in, in that word resilience. To me, includes that, Sophia. I think you have to include, you know, the cybersecurity protections all the way through. And if you're not doing that, you you're just you're just walking through the internet naked, waiting for bad things to happen. It's
0: really not good. Seriously, Seriously. and 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 it's easier to um, address these concerns or these potential threats up front than it is trying to, um, you know, put out fires in the back end, um, having not thought through that. Um, and and that's that that's that's something that we're you know with all these these new technologies coming out the, the hurdles that were at, from a regular regulatory perspective and a policy perspective that we're, um, that we're trying to tiptoe carefully. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. So exactly. so so that's why so, so many
1: people are, are just absolutely beside themselves with regard to you know the the yeah. AGI uh, right mm-hmm. the, the AI stuff is scary to a lot of people and it's scary And based on our conversation. It's scary because it may be a long, long time before the regulators catch up with what the technology is capable of. Uh, And if, if you've got, you know, big nation states that are investing in those kinds of technologies to do, you know, particularly the deep fakes you know, we actually, we had a, we have an ongoing scams that happens every year uh, about the time of the holidays where, you know, the, the scammers try to get, you know, my retail people to go out and buy gift cards for our CA- CEO. I, this, I year, it, yes. mm-hmm. this year, they actually had a voicemail that they sent out that sounded like my CEO. Uh, it was a deep fake of his voice, but it was still asking them to go buy in gift cards. Uh, so they didn't up their game in terms of their ass, but they did up their game in terms of the technology that they used to create that, that simulation, so to speak. So, you know, everybody's going to have to be on their toes here, you know, for the next I don't know for, for the foreseeable future. I think you have to be on your toes. Tech is at the center of everything, and the bad guys know that, and they're going to try to take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, and 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 they're using it to build trust with by developing these these personal relationships with the voices or the you know the avatars of people that are seemingly you know, there's people behind them, you know, rather than just like an email or a website that's representative of a company or a person, it's easier to build that trust, that interpersonal trust with someone that's seemingly a person uh, behind that voice or behind that avatar. So, so Walt, then looking forward, in your perfect world, what, what emerging technologies or trends do you believe to have a significant impact on enhancing the resilience of IT infrastructure in um, the financial services sector, in particular, um, what do you kind of see coming and uh, and hoping to incorporate there?
1: Well, I'm actually net positive on AI. I think you know you take you take some of those tools that we talked about earlier, the RPA workflow engines. You you put that in 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 you know a a neural net that's capable of learning and adjusting over time. As more and more data comes in, it starts to learn. It gets better and better. Uh, some of the AI tools that are backed by Uh, what is essentially humans that, that are doing that uh, cleansing and and clearing on, you know, kind of on the fly as, as it's learning Uh, trainers that train the trainer uh, I think is, is the model there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I get really excited about that because we can take a lot of cost out uh, and get humans back into, you know, that higher, uh, you know, use uh, not, not, you know, stare and compare and, you know, uh, you know, downloading from one spreadsheet to another, uh, th- that kind of thing. I think, I think, get the humans who have incredible processors doing things that require those incredible processors, and get them more engaged uh, in, in you know, real, you know, value adding activities. The, um, you know, the, the a lot of these tools really aid in administration, right? And and that's the, the grunt level stuff that most people hate to do anyway. Uh, you know, so let's automate as much of that as we can using what we're calling AI. You know, the neural nets, the ML. Uh, you know, get the workflow engines. Uh, you know, really driving this stuff through. Uh, I, I'm I'm really bullish on those technologies. I think that's the the future that we're going to see, and and we're already seeing you know what what appears to be magic happening with some of these tools. Uh, And I I love it. I I think it's an exciting time. I wish I was, you know, 40 years younger, to be honest with you, because it's just there's some really cool tools being built right now.
0: Yeah, well, you're definitely doing a good job at kind of leading the charge uh, in your industry and, you know, for for people that that are, you know, not 40 years younger that are really that. Are learning to adopt these technologies and use them in their daily lives because just like you said bringing it back to the beginning there's technology on its own is no longer in a, a, a separate siloed industry on its own and it's really infused in everything that we're doing um in our daily lives and in, in our professions yeah
1: go ahead appreciate that i, I want to share just real quickly and then we can probably you know yeah. walk away but um, you know the the i was up in napa with my wife uh, just a few years ago, and this uh, this really great winemaker up there named Henry uh, was explaining something that I had I had never known before about wine. And I'm married to a lady who is you know Sicilian uh, and Irish, and so she drinks wine all the time. Uh, and and what he said was he said when you when you take wine and and you drink wine you know one sip after another with no food. The wine loses its its power. It loses its jamminess and its punch and its flavor very quickly. Um, and 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 he said this is something that the French and the Spanish and the Italians have known for thousands of years. Right? That you know, wine is built to go with food, and food is meant to be complemented by the wine. And and they've known that for thousands of years, and that's how that that mechanisms comes together. In the conversation we've had today, Sophia, I would say. You know, very similarly, business needs technology and technology needs business. And one without the other is not the same. And neither one of them is really all that it could be without the other, just like the wine and the food. And, and so when you start putting all this together and you realize they're best when they're, they're merged together. Right. And now the technology really does empower and enable that business and and it it it's that inseparability, I think, that we're gonna have to come to grips with. We've got to stop thinking about IT as something separate from the business. It's totally part of what we're doing in the marketplace. And also, yeah,
0: stop. 100%. yeah that, that's that's hundred percent right. And, and um, and we need to get more people thinking on that route. Um, that there's a there's a set of things that comes with with a business plan and business operations. And um, technology and IT and cybersecurity is 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 definitely part of that. And, and, and that will continue to grow in terms of um, the, the, the components and the different types of technologies that, that continue to get added to the stack. Because I, I feel the same way in terms of uh, just emerging technology separately. Like each technology on its own is very powerful and useful on its own. But now when we start combining the capabilities, we're talking about holistic solutions that are are really addressing the needs of, of specific professions and specific industry sectors. So thank you so much, Walt, for <laughs> coming on this podcast with me. It's been um, a very insightful and uh, conversation, and it's been great learning from you and uh, learning a little bit more about resilience and uh, in IT infrastructure, um, specifically also in the financial sector. So thank you so much.
1: Pleasure to be with you today, Sophie. And I've enjoyed it as well.
0: We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.